Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Good Sunday morning, everyone. I, uh, my name is Carlos, and I will be doing a reading from the book of Mark, chapter 5, uh, verse 25 through 34. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him uh, in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she had said, if I touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, uh, her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware of the, that the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about into the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came up in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am so, so glad you are here. I want to give a special shout out. My in-laws are here. Uh, my sister's in-law, brother-in-law, my nieces are here. We've had a lovely week touring Chicago. Um, they're going to be sneaking out halfway through to catch a flight back, but... Uh, know that their uh, hearts love God just as much. So, uh, just as much as you do. Um, I also want to welcome Myron Chris. Myron Chris, Florence, regularly sings with our band um, and has lots of gifts. He is also a PhD student at Garrett Theological Seminary and is going to be helping me preach this morning through this text. Uh, but before we do that, let's center our hearts and minds in prayer. And this month, we're preparing to work through breath prayer, the idea of breathing in God's spirit and breathing out any anxiety or fear we might be feeling. So we're going to take a few deep breaths together, and then I will guide us in a few deep breaths, and then we will be ready to go. You ready? So take, uh, you can settle yourself into your seat Maybe if you feel comfortable, place your feet on the floor. Relax your shoulders. Relax your stomach. Relax your eyelids. 
Your eyes can be closed or you can fix them on a certain spot and just rest. But take in a deep breath and release. Breathing deeply, feeling the air come into your nostrils, pushing it out. We breathe in together and we breathe out any anxiety and we breathe in hope and breathe out any stress. We breathe in peace and breathe out violence or anger. And we breathe in love. God of love, you surround us, offering ways of coping, offering ways of experiencing you, offering ways to learn new and exciting things about you. And so we offer this time to you, God. We offer our minds. May we consider new ways that you are calling us to follow you. We offer our hearts. May our lives reflect the wonder that we experience in you. And we offer our bodies. May we use our arms and our legs to move and to hug and to tell people about the good news we have found in you. And so we pray in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, UVC has four sites throughout the city of Chicago. This is the edgiest one, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, of all those four sites, we begin a new sermon series about every four weeks or so. This week, we're beginning a new series um, on faith on stage, lessons from our favorite musicals. Does anybody like musicals? Uh, does anybody hate musicals? You, we won't out you here, but uh, I just outed you. I just asked you. But uh, I, I also, Dina grew up as a theater kid and would mow the lawn as a kid listening to musicals and singing along really loudly. I had lots of friends, can I tell you? Uh, <laughs> but for those of you who are not interested in musicals, know very little about musicals, know that that's not... Everything that we're going to be talking about, we're mostly going to be talking about the Bible and gathering in these ancient stories, but also gathering some more recent stories, stories of art and stories of expression to help us understand human nature, human creation, but also how people have tried to communicate the love of God through other art forms. So our new sermon series, there are many ways to tell some of our most beloved stories, and we can often, as we read through them, listen to them, find stories of faith within them as well. So this morning, we're going to be concentrating on the musical Hamilton. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's kind of a big, big BFD. Uh, it's a smash Broadway production that seeks to tell the different sides of American history, stories from American history that often go untold or often are told in different ways. But without spoiling anything, uh, I'll tell you that it follows one of the founders of one of the leaders, one of the people who claims to have found America, Alexander Hamilton, who is usually, when we look through our textbooks, often disliked uh, or painted as this kind of sour kind of character. 
Uh, he is portrayed as someone who set up our current monetary system and establishes the uni uh, un uh, United States financial credit throughout the rest of the world. And oftentimes we understand more about Alexander Hamilton through biographies of our third president, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson usually had these famous disagreements with Alexander Hamilton, which is why Alexander Hamilton gets painted as like the sourpuss in the corner. Oh, Thomas Jefferson, what are you thinking? Uh, but really, Lin-Manuel uh, Lin Miranda, a Broadway playwright and musical lyricist, was reading a biography, this very thick biography that I totally recommend on Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, and he realized some similarities in Hamilton's story that Miranda had in his own story because Alexander Hamilton moved to the United States as an immigrant. He was often misunderstood by the people around him when really he was just trying really hard to set up a really good system for future generations. And Hamilton suffered many great losses throughout his life. So uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda was uh, drawn to Alexander Hamilton and wondered, can I turn this story into a new story, repaint it for people, set and write a musical portraying Hamilton and maybe the entire cast of, 19, of 1770s America, including King George of England, in fresh new ways. And so he wrote this musical uh, and took some of our most beloved characters and twist them a little bit to make us see them in different ways and with new lights. One of the best songs, one of the many songs, it's like... You can just listen to the music and pick up on the story, really, because it is told through the music. And one of the best songs in the musical ends with the cast singing, Who lives and who dies? Who tells your story? Meaning that those who survive or those who have influence, those who are given a pen and then publishing rights are often the ones who get to tell the story. It's told from a certain perspective. It shapes our whole narrative of how we read history. And so Lin-Manuel Miranda is trying to get us to think, who are these stories being written by? Who is the survivor in the story? Who has motivation behind the story? Should we be reading not only Alexander Hamilton, but others looking for who's painted as the hero? Who is painted as the villain and why are they so? And we decided at UBC to include Hamilton as a way and understanding story as a way of reading the Bible. Because oftentimes, maybe as a child, you were taught the story of Jonah and the whale. And the story of Jonah and the whale goes, Jonah was out fishing, just relaxing, chillaxing by the lake. And this big fish, who's awful, comes by and just eats him whole and then throws him up. Is that the story you heard growing up? No, <laughs> but really, if you were to go back and reread Jonah, you would realize Jonah is, God comes to Jonah and says, you need to go and tell the good news to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah says, mm, heck no, I have too many things to do. And that sounds terrifying. And so he swims out into the ocean and the whale was just, the, it's not even a whale, it's just a fish. And he was just minding his own business and sees something tasty and delightful in the ocean and eats him up like, my dog would, walking down the street looking for trash. And then realizing he ate a piece of trash, he, the, the fish throws it up. And really, then the rest of Jonah, he keeps trying to avoid God's call in his life. But we don't really know that story because it's often told in different ways and different perspectives. And so it's really important. The way we look at our Bible, the way we read scripture, teaches us more about what God and the people of God are trying to communicate to us throughout history. So 
we're going to understand and try to unpack some critical ways we understand these stories. And I'm going to kick it off to Myron Chris to tell us, in the reading of Mark 5 and this woman who bleeds way too much, what did you find interesting in your research and in your reading this week? Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? So as I look at this text, I'm going to be sharing with you my hermeneutic, which is mm -hmm. simply the, in my interpretation of this text. And there are several things that sticks out to me as I look at this text. Going back to the, verse 25, it says, Now there was a woman. And in this culture, that automatically places her mm -hmm. in a hierarchy, hierarchy of lower than men. She was less than a man. She was three-fifths of a person, if you will. Mm -hmm. Then also it says a woman. She doesn't have a name. She doesn't have any other descriptions. She's just a woman. She's stripped of her humanity and seen as merely an object. She is marginalized. But then I also see that she is bleeding. Blood often denotes life. Mm. So the life is literally being sucked out of her. This is not just her monthly visitor, as we used to say. But this is more, it's more excessive. Something is wrong, and there is nothing that she could do about it. Erin, as I began to look in and think about the Jewish theology of this time, she would be considered unclean. And I went to our favorite chapter of Leviticus 19.25, and That's it says, <laughs> if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. Mm -hmm. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. So not only was she unclean, but anything, anyone she touched was automatically unclean. So thus she had to be quarantined. She had to be separated from society, from her family. She had to live in isolation. Can you imagine the stigma? Can you imagine how that would make her feel to be ceremonially unclean? Thus, she was doubly marginalized. One, she was a woman. Two, she was a bleeding woman. This caused her to have much suffering. And I, Aaron, I began to think and wonder about suffering. And I, as I did my research, I saw that pain is different than suffering. Mm. Because pain is physical. Mm. You have an ailment. The doctors can prove that. But suffering is psychological. It is the interpretation or the story that you tell yourself about your pain. So pain says, I do not feel well. Mm. Suffering says, I will never get better. Mm. I'm going to die like this. Pain says, I'm bleeding. Suffering says, I am worthless. Pain says, people hate me. Suffering says, God hates me. Mm. 
as a man, I cannot pretend to know the fullness of what she went through. So I decided to go to a source. And this source was my mother. Hmm. And by her permission, I got, she told me her story and she allowed me to tell it with the, to you today. While she was in her 60s, she got a hysterectomy. And she said that she had a fibroid in her uterus. So during her monthly cycle, blood, she had extra long blood bleeding and extra heavy bleeding. Now, my mother is a retired school teacher. And she said she could remember when that time of the month came that sometimes she would be in the middle of class and she would have to give them busy work while she ran down the hall to try to get to the bathroom in time. And she told me about how there would be blood that would be falling down, coming down as she went down the hallway and she would leave a trail behind her. The blood was so thick and so fast and there was nothing she could do about it. So she had to take a pair of clothes with her wherever she went. It changed her life. It was uncomfortable because at night it would mess up her covers and mess up her padding. It was uncontrollable because her body was taking over. It was embarrassing. With this amount of blood, she was weak. So she became anemic. She said she, said she remembered having to take iron pills because at one point she had to take four pints of blood in. This was her condition. And I imagine this is the condition of the woman in our text. My mother told me that it became so routine that she just thought this was just life as normal. And for 48 years or so, my mother normalized this condition. Most of the time she tried to hide it, but what do you do when you can't do anything? How do you feel when you are doing the best, you're just trying to live a normal life and your body is doing its own thing. So I imagine this is how the woman in the text felt. She went to many physicians and she endured much under these physicians. And one thing I know about being in the hospital is the, the longer you're in the hospital, the more physicians you have. And it begins to get, you see more doctors and it gets more expensive. Now, she didn't have any Blue Cross Blue Shield. She didn't have the Affordable Health Care Act. She didn't have Medicaid. She had to pay all of this out of pocket, mm -hmm. which meant that she had to spend all that she had. So now she is triple marginalized. Not only is she a woman, not only is she a bleeding woman, but now she is a poor, bleeding woman. That would be one thing if she spent all she had and she was better. I don't think anybody would mind that. It would be tough, but at least I'm better. At least I'm well. But the text says, no, instead, she got worse. I imagine that after 12 years of experiencing this, even the strongest person, this would wear you down. She said, I've gone to the right doctors. I've tried to eat the right food. I've tried to pray it away. I just want to be normal. I just want to be like everybody else. This can cause you to be hopeless. It can cause you to be depressed. It could even cause you to be suicidal. 
So the woman in our text, we find her at this point of vulnerability. She was at her last straw. But she heard about this Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we come to these texts with different perspectives, too. Mm -hmm. And the beauty that we were trying to do this morning as we both read this text is come with our different understandings. When I read, one, we know that women's bodies are different. Some people who identify as women don't experience um, periods, blood, anything. Trans women might be different than that. This is one woman's experience of what this looks like. Myron Chris's reading um, brings a lot to the text. And then I also come to the text with my lens wanting to understand this woman new and in different ways. And when I read it, what I see, the woman doesn't get to tell her story. It is told through the perspective of whoever observes her. Maybe it was the disciples who were walking behind Jesus seeing this woman. Uh, someone tells on her behalf, and what they have decided to tell us is a lot in and of itself. We don't know if she had family, but we do know that she had suffered, and we know how long she suffered, 12 years. That's a long time, but we know that detail of her life. We know that she suffered not under one physician, but under many. Somebody went out and decided to learn about this woman after the fact that she was healed. They said, that was an interesting woman. That's a story we need to record. And so they went maybe like a journalist and did an interview, taking down some of these details from her. They also learned she spent all of her money. This is not a thing that defines her, but an interesting part of the story that adds to who she is and how we read her. We know more and are gaining sympathy and empathizing with her because we understand that she has lost everything she has, gambling on trying to help her body feel better. But nothing actually gets better. She gets worse. Continually over 12 years, and then she hears about Jesus. The interviewer must have been asking her for like a really good story. If you are a good journalist, a good interviewer, a good storyteller, you're looking for that crux of the story. What was the point that changed? What brought hope? And she realized this Jesus is coming into town. I'm going to throw everything aside. I know that I'm considered unclean. And yet, and yet I am, I care enough about myself, enough about wanting to heal that I am willing to go out into the city, go out among all this crowd of people and seek what it is I need and want, which is healing. She's heard about Jesus and she decides to come up using her own body that she knows is not unclean, even though everyone else around her stigmatizes her body, calling her unclean. She knows that a simple touch of her own body can create something powerful, something mysterious and a miracle. And so she uses her unclean body in this bodily response to reach, to touch at Jesus's feet. Jesus too then responds, not rebuking her, not calling her out, but instead kind of whipping around and asking, who just, who just touched me? And I imagine the disciples being like, uh, Jesus, hello. There's a million people here at this parade coming to welcome you in. That's the dumbest question I've ever heard because everybody is touching you. Uh, Jesus feels this bodily experience of connection with her, of a deep compassion with her, just by a simple touch, an understanding that she is not unclean. But these two understand one another as they come close. 
And so Jesus responds to her call of touch and invites her into relationship, asking, who touched me? I want to know more. I want to be more deeply connected. While this woman, we can read her as voiceless, valueless, Jesus decides, I'm going to ask to hear that voice. I'm going to ask so that I can bring her in. Others see her as value when they often didn't see her with value. The interesting thing, too, is that this story appears in multiple gospel accounts. Did you know there were multiple gospel accounts? There are four. Different ways of understanding Jesus. Um, They're told uh, from different perspectives. They're written at different times throughout history. We believe that Mark was one of the first ones written, but this story also appears in Luke. And the interesting thing to know is that Mark is the only one that includes an inner dialogue from the woman. We actually hear something from her. She says, but if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well. And actually, we don't know if that's what she was thinking because it's inner dialogue and the journalist is like writing down and maybe adding a little bit of fluff to make the story better. But the idea that the journalist writer of Mark thought, we need to hear from her. She needs to have some type of agency about her, this motivation that leads her to Jesus. This is an attempt to humanize her, to bring her into the fullness of who she is so that we can better understand her. So for us, the woman seems seems desperate. If you've ever suffered from a chronic illness or chronic pain, you might understand her need to search for a cure, search a constant seeking for healing, a constant feeling of loneliness or people staring at you that you are different in some way and trying to carry your body being okay with your difference about who you are, throwing everybody's expectations of you to the wind. She is ultimately a powerful figure of perseverance and determination. Not only will she be healed, but she wants to be restored, restored into relationship. Because if she does have a family, which we have no idea, from either account, from either gospel, she will be able to return to them, spend time with them, hug them. And this is what she's seeking. So tell us more. Talk less, smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. This is the rhetoric given to marginalized people, much Mm -hmm. like the woman in our story. You go along to get along. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be a troublemaker. Just accept this as your plight in life. This Mm -hmm. is God's will for your life. But the dangerous part is when we internalize these stories that are placed on us Hmm. and we develop what some call the learned helplessness. All the while, these same people who are telling us, shh, be quiet, are telling their story about us. Hmm. Now, in the text that we presented, in the version that we presented, this is the politically correct version. We say the woman with hemorrhages. But when I was growing up in the Pentecostal church, mm, as you know, we, was, we called her the woman with the issue of blood. Mm. The woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue. Mm. The woman who was 
an issue. In a male-dominated culture, the men can normalize their experience as the only legitimate experience and negate or ignore or belittle any other experience as insignificant. So we can see this today. As we think about children, they should be seen and not heard. Mm. Sit down. Stop playing. Be quiet. Be less like a child. With women, why do you got to be so emotional all the time? Get out of your feelings. Mm. Why can't you be more like a man? Mm. Why do you have to have a Me Too movement? Mm. I'm a man. I've gone through stuff, too. <laughs> you see me up here complaining? Is that, are you asking me? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> to the person of color. Mm. Why you always got to be pulling the race card? We are just Mm. here laughing and joking, and then you got to pull out the black card. Mm. Black lives matter. No, all lives matter to the LGBTQ person. Now listen, we let you come into our church. Do whatever you want to do on your own time, in the Mm. privacy of your own homes, but do you have to be so vocal about it? Why do you need to be ordained? Mm. Just sit down, be quiet, because you're making everyone uncomfortable. We're labeled as troublemakers at best, or an abomination at worst. We're made to feel like the woman in our text. When stories get placed upon us, Mm -hmm. stories that we are not allowed to tell of ourselves, um, some of us feel like we have to live into those stories. We have to become quieter, smaller, pull in on ourselves rather than share our own story. Um, And what Jesus is calling us to in this text is rather he whips around saying, who touched me? Who wants to tell their story? What Jesus calls us to is inviting us You should share your story because I'm not going to be able to share it as well as you could. There are details about it that I won't know, but that will make the story even better, more compelling, and more of a reason why we should celebrate who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, This is why it's important that we have four different gospels so that we're reading Jesus from different perspectives. Each gospel is written with a different audience in mind. They wrote Mark really quickly because they said, this is good stuff, guys. We just got to get it out there so that everybody can hear it. And then they go back and they go, oh, you know what? I love this text, but my Jewish friends are not getting the idea that Jesus is the Messiah, a BFD, a big freaking deal. And so... Matthew decides to write his gospel, writing from a Jewish perspective to his Jewish audience saying, this is the one for whom we have been waiting for. Guys, get on board. Don't be left behind. You need to read this best-selling book I wrote about this guy. It's important that we have different perspectives so that we understand that we are telling the story because Jesus didn't write his own story because this woman didn't get a chance to write her own story, that we're looking at it and analyzing it from different perspectives. That means that when we come to the text, we come with our own perspective too. This is why we call it the living word of God. Not only is it something that infuses us with life, but it also means every time we read it, 
We are living new life into it, breathing new life into it because we come to it with our own experience. I come to it looking for some really strong women almost every time. You come to it with a different perspective of queer person of color. What do, are you looking for when you're reading the Bible? Who are you sympathizing with? Whose story are you trying to draw out, suss out of their story? And so we have to continue to bring ourselves to the story, but it also means we have to do it in community. That understanding when we share what we see within the text, we help enliven the story, breathe new life into it for one another. Because in our different social locations, different life experiences, we help each other better understand what God is doing in our midst. So Jesus doesn't tell his story. The woman doesn't tell her story. And so we come to this text. Our foremothers and fathers and parents of faith decided to write these stories down, gifted it to us, and said, go, share it with one another. So every time we come to the text, we come with critical analysis. Critical doesn't mean that we are looking for things to be wrong or bad, but it means that we are taking it seriously that we are looking for some hope, a message of new learning. We're not, we don't just, uh, we're trying to trust that God is communicating to us, but we're also willing to play with it a little bit. We don't hold it so tightly, looking for right or wrong, but we're willing to hear from one another and share experiences in order to understand that there's not one best way to read this text, but instead, there are so many beautiful ways to read this text. And so what, what piece of hope do you want to leave us with? No, I'm not throwing away my shot. No, I'm not throwing away my shot. So I think about this woman. In verse 33, it says, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, hmm. She fell down before Jesus and told him, not a half-truth, but the whole truth. Hmm. Aaron, this is problematic for me because I'm, I'm like, okay, she had already been vulnerable. She had already did everything to press through a crowd, trying to do, and she was weak, we had, as we had talked about earlier. She had done all of this stuff just to get her healing. And if it were me, that would be good enough. <laughs> I would be, okay, I'm out, deuces, stage left. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't need to, to, to make it known that I was the one that touched you. But instead of going out, she came out. Hmm. I wrestled with this because why did she need to come out? As long as you're good with yourself, then... Why do you need to publicize it to the world? Why do you need to tell your story? Hmm. You received your healing already. That should be good enough, right? But through her coming out, she was not only healed, but she was freed. Hmm. What do you mean by that, Myron Chris? Yeah, what do you mean? Jesus validates her. Because had she just got her healing and then walked away, no one else would have known about this story. No one else would have heard from her. And they still would have been holding 
that uncleanness over her. They would still be saying that you are this person. She, as in this culture, she could not validate herself. You had to go to the priest, and they were the ones that could tell you if you were clean or unclean. So in her public declaration that, yes, I was the one that touched you, Jesus is able to tell her, Hmm. before all these people, you are clean. Hmm. You are whole. You are reinstated back into society, back into community, back into culture. But not only does Jesus validate her communally, but Jesus validates her psychologically. Hmm. When you've gone through something for 12 long years, even if you are healed, that thing just doesn't go away psychologically. You don't forget about it after one day. Now, I'm a therapist, and I work with people with trauma, and we have, it's a slow, it's a long, it's an arduous process, and we just mm. work at it one, one little pick at a time, one pick at a time. It doesn't go away over time. But she has been validated by Jesus. So when those negative thoughts, when those people around her tell her that you're still unclean, you're still dirty, you're still not supposed to be here, your story doesn't matter, she can say no. I have been validated by Jesus. When they try to keep her bound, she could sing, if I could borrow from another musical, when the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. This is brave. This Mm. is proof. This is who I'm meant to be. My story. Mm. The power of claiming her story in the midst. She could have slipped away, uh, remaining uh, anonymous, but instead she chose to share her healing with all of us. And so now we are healed by her story, healed from our own stigma of others, healed by the experience of knowing what it means to tell your story, to tell it over and over again. I like what you're bringing up of that. I wonder if, uh, kind of like Dina a year after being in Chicago, rethinks back a year later and retells how her life has changed. She retells the story to herself over and over again so that those negative images and stories don't cloud her mind, but she is reminded she is healed by Jesus. This is a great practice we can do, too, of retelling our stories to one another, to ourselves. This is why we do it every week, too. You notice we have uh, our big traditions of saying woo after uh, we read the mission statement. And then we also have our traditions that bring us in more closely as a community telling our testimony every week. We hold someone's story, say, you are safe here, and we are so glad that you are ours and we are yours. And so we retell these stories every week. Someone new comes up here, or maybe someone who did their testimony four years ago and then finally says, oh, okay, I guess I'll respond to Aaron and say yes this time again. Uh, retells a different experience of their story, something they've learned over those four years, allowing us a little more deeply to understand how God is moving in this world. And so when we share stories, it's an honorable thing. It's an honor just to hear that story. It's an honor to be that vulnerable person leading and guiding people into the story of what God is doing in our community. 
And so the story of healing that we offer to one another is when we open up, when we are willing to say, it was me. I touched Jesus and Jesus touched me. I am forever changed. I'm forever changed by you and my interactions and experience with you. I am changed because I grew up as a weird kid singing musicals to herself while mowing in the lawn. (laughs) When we tell the truth about ourselves, we invite others in to experience that change with us. And so it is a great way to wrestle with and understand our God, the original storyteller, the one who gifted all these stories to us, asking us to analyze, be critical, and take seriously our faith to continue to become storytellers, not allowing others to push stories on us about who we are to be, but to share and hold one another's stories so that they can live more fully, help us to understand more fully who God is in this beautiful creation God has made. Will you pray with me? God, you craft some weird and wild stories. One's about fish, swallowing men whole. One's about being called to evangelism. One's about fear and trembling. One's about demanding to be heard. These are all ways of us understanding the human experience, understanding that you, God, sympathize and empathize with us and that you, God, call us to continue to examine how you have been working throughout history, throughout time, how you continue, God, to show up faithfully in our lives. And so, God, we ask for the courage to be vulnerable, the courage to share of our story with others, the courage to hold tenderly the story of those around us, believing and taking them into our hearts, knowing that we are learning more and more about you through these bits and pieces people reveal to us. And so, God, we give you thanks. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.